Hello again everyone and welcome back to the underground. Today we're going to teach you the basics of how to build a safe house in your very own home. But before we begin, let's go over what a safe house actually is. Most people think of a safe house as a place for spies and undercover agents to hang out. But in reality, a safe house is really just a structure which is meant to keep you safe from a certain event. The word safe house can therefore be used to describe many different things and types of structures. In the disaster prepping world, the word safe house can be used to describe a shelter for physical protection, such as a tornado shelter. In our context, we are talking about a physical structure that can be used to conceal people as well as supplies and other things. In the civilian world, this is almost always not going to be a freestanding structure, but rather a secret hidden room within a structure. So for the purposes of this video, we'll refer to all hidden or concealed locations as safe houses. A lot of people who are motivated to build or buy a physical area in which to survive an event are going to most likely choose to go down the survival bunker route, which is not a bad idea. However, there are pretty big differences between a safe house and a bunker, which can roughly be summed up as the difference between cover and concealment. Cover provides a physical barrier which protects the inhabitant, whereas concealment does not provide a physical barrier but rather an optical one, hiding a person using camouflage in order to protect the person. If you cannot see the target, or even know that it's there, you cannot attack it. As such, cover can be concealed. You can have a bunker camouflaged from view. But the inverse is not true. Camouflage is just camouflage, and if it were reinforced, it would become cover. Speaking of shelters, this means that your classic tornado shelter provides cover, but no concealment, as everyone knows where it's at. Most safe houses that people will build will provide concealment, but no real cover from attacks. And a good underground survival bunker will provide both cover and concealment, if set up correctly. But these are obviously the most difficult for most people to make. Thinking about these distinctions is important before you begin, as you might invest in a safe house and spend a lot of time, money, and effort building it, only to come to the conclusion that you should have just built an underground bunker in the first place. It would really suck to get caught up in going down the rabbit hole of building a safe house and then realizing that your structure isn't really ideal for much more. A bunker can be used as a living space, a refuge from a nuclear annihilation or any other NBC event, a shelter from a pandemic, or even a riot. You can store supplies, smuggle cargo, or even shelter family members, or run an intelligence section out of an underground bunker. But if you have your safe house in, say, an attic, well really you can't do much more than hiding people in it. So a bunker will give you the opportunity to expand your usage, which will result in you getting much more bang for your buck. But if you've made your decision to continue down the safe house route, or if the decision has been made for you due to being limited on ground space, or living in like a townhouse with zero actual land, or, or if you're renting somewhere, or whatever the case may be, just know that when we talk about safe houses in this particular episode, we're not going to be so concerned with things like air tightness and protection from anything other than say like the elements. So let's go over some of the basic requirements for your very own safe house. Also, I should mention that we're not going to list all of the normal prepping supplies that most people already know about. Rather, we're going to focus on aspects that not many people consider or are unique to safe houses. Number one is covert entry and exit. Remember, in our context, a safe house is not providing cover, but rather concealment. We're not building a bunker here, but rather a hidden room. As such, one of the most important factors is being able to enter and exit the safe house without being detected, or at least being as discreet as possible. 
Having the entrance to your safe house in a convenient area but away from most foot traffic would be ideal. Having two entry and exit points would be very important as well if you can swing it. Having only one way in and out is great for security, but it's really bad in the event that you have to get out in a hurry. But also do not put the entrance to your safe house in an area that is suspicious. For instance, the old Hogan's Heroes entrance into the doghouse is funny and clever, but your neighbors might find it suspicious if they look out their window in the middle of the night and see you crawling inside the doghouse in your backyard. So make sure that the entrance to your safe house strikes a balance between being away from a high traffic area, but also not so remote that if you get caught trying to enter it, you will have an easy excuse for being there. Cupboards, pantries, garages, attic spaces, closets, outbuildings, and other locations like this are great as all of these spaces can have a legitimate use. Whereas it would be very suspicious if you were seen digging around in your backyard in the middle of the night looking for the hatch of your not-so-secret-anymore bunker. Also, internal security is a huge factor as well. This safe house is going to be used by people, and people are usually the weakest link in the security chain. We simply cannot let anyone and everyone into our safe houses, no matter what the situation is. And the people that we do trust, we don't trust totally. As such, a classic tactic used by bad guys all over the world is the bag over the head trick, which conceals the location of the site from the person entering it. So if you trust someone enough to bring them into your safe house, but not enough to trust them with the location and or entry procedures, you could meet them at a neutral location, blindfold them, then take them into the safe house. Once they're inside, blindfold comes off, and there you go. Now, of course, this is quite an extreme example, but we just wanted to throw that out there as an option for people that have very specific situational requirements. Number two is a place to rest. One of the primary reasons for having a safe house is to allow a person a place to rest. In an age of COVID where neighbors inform on each other with the fervor of the Stasi, it would be a prudent thing in some areas for visitors to your home to be set up in the safe house rather than the guest bedroom or the couch that they might be used to. As such, a safe house needs to be quiet, dark, and a comfortable temperature. Non-heated and non-air conditioned spaces are usually a no-go, unless the safe house is located in a temperate area or it's a safe house that is set up in extremis, or set up for a specific use. When it comes to places to sleep, we prefer hammocks because they don't take up any space at all when not in use, and when they are being used, they still allow the conservation of a lot of space. And space conservation is going to be a priority for everyone. Of course, this requires a place to hang a hammock, which isn't going to be an easy thing to do in an apartment. So foam mats and sleeping bags will be vital to have as well in those cases. Remember when we said a while back that learning to get comfortable sleeping on the floor will be a good skill to have? Well, this is exactly what we're talking about. Number three is food and water. If you or anyone else is going to spend any time in your safe house, you're going to need food and water. Water is easy to store, but you'll need to store a lot of it, and it takes up a lot of space. Also, in order for your water to be stored for a long time, it has to be stored in special containers. Simply going to the grocery store and grabbing a couple of milk gallon jugs of water and putting them away in your safe house is a recipe for disaster, as these plastic jugs will break down under their own weight over time. Also, make sure that you don't do what many people do and just get one large rain barrel or one tank. 
That's fine for efficiency and sheer storage volume, but you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket in case the water supply gets contaminated or discovered. So make sure that you have many different water storage solutions from things like water bricks and jerry cans to even things like survival water pouches. Diversity of water storage methods will ensure that you always have water when you need it no matter what happens. Food is another difficulty as the considerations for food in a safe house are slightly different than a normal survival or emergency situation. For instance, you're going to need to select non-aromatic foods. Smells can travel a long way, much further than you think. It would be a shame if your covert safe house got discovered just because you wanted to barbecue something. You're also going to want foods that can preferably be heated up in a confined space. Flameless ration heaters are great for this, as even though they do emit fumes, it's not going to be a huge issue, even in a small area. Electric heaters like hot plates will be ideal, but once again, they require electricity. Camp stoves are a last resort, but they can work in certain situations, like if you're using a jet boiler, something that can boil water very quickly, um, therefore reducing the amount of gas in your area. But once again, these are uh, pretty much a recipe for disaster if you're in a very small, confined area with no ventilation. And most importantly, never use something like a tablet stove, like an ESPIT or something, uh, because these tablets uh, have a very strong odor when, they, uh, when they're burning, so you're getting the worst of both worlds. You're getting fumes, you're getting carbon monoxide, and you're getting a very strong smell. Even though the modern ESPIT tabs are not as smelly as they used to be, it's still an odor that is very easy to detect from the outside, so ESPIT stoves are no-go. Also, you're going to want foods that are not heavily spiced and palatable by lots of different people. You can always add flavor to bland food, but you can't take spices out of food. That's why most military rations on the planet tend to be on the bland side, so as not to offend any one person's diet, but rather offend everyone equally. This is a consideration because you might have people staying in your safe house that you had no intention of staying in there, like extended family members, friends and neighbors. You, you never really know what your situation is going to be, so it might be a good idea to make sure that you can appeal to as many people as possible. Even if you like, a, you know, like spicy food, put the spices in there, but don't put them... Uh, don't buy spicy food and store that away. If your safe house is in a location that is prone to wide swings in temperature, you will want to store your food in a more stable environment. Wide swings in temperature are not conducive to long-term food storage and make food spoil very quickly. This is important if your safe house is in an attic, a crawl space, or an outbuilding as many of ours are. Number four is soundproofing. Seeing as most people are going to build safe houses within their own home or in apartment buildings or crawl spaces or outbuildings, noise pollution is going to be a huge factor. Safe houses themselves must be somewhat insulated against noise, but also the people within the safe house must adhere to silence when at all possible. This could mean making people take off their shoes right after entering the safe house to get rid of the sound of thumping footsteps, not playing music over speakers, watching loud movies, making phone calls, stuff like that is going to be a big no-no for most of us. Of course, remote safe houses won't have this problem, but in an urban environment it is vital to understand the value of being as quiet as possible. Number five, sanitation and hygiene. Having toilet facilities in a safe house is going to be quite unpleasant, but necessary if the situation warrants it. Unless you have to spend an exorbitant amount of money on a safe house, most likely your toilet facilities will not have running water. So you're going to have to have a sort of camp toilet setup. 
A bucket, toilet seat, sanitation bags, and a container of kitty litter will go a long way when it comes to setting up a toilet in your safe house. But don't neglect the privacy screen that would be vital for creating a comfortable environment for everyone. Number six, if you build a safe house, chances are if it ever gets used, it will almost certainly be used by way more people than it was designed for. And all of this extra body heat means that it's probably going to get pretty hot in there, even if it's an air-conditioned space. Having passive ventilation or even quiet fans that can run would be beneficial, but always remember that your safe house must be as quiet as possible. Number seven, lighting. Running power to our safe house or having a means to get power is vital. Almost all safe houses will be secret rooms located deep inside structures, and it's gonna be dark, so you're going to need lighting. Also, setting up a charging station so that people can charge their devices, radios, battery packs, and whatever else would be very nice to have. Number eight, electronic surveillance prevention. As electronic surveillance increases to a disturbing level in America, we have to be concerned with electronic surveillance. The birth of the smartphone connected humanity in ways that were previously impossible. But unfortunately, everyone from private companies to governments have squandered this opportunity, choosing instead to turn smartphones into the bane of society. Smartphones are the microchip that every conspiracy theorist have been dreading. They are spy satellites in your pocket. So for our safe houses, we put a Faraday box right at the entrance. As soon as someone enters, they put their phone in the Faraday box. Preferably, they would put their phone in airplane mode or in a Faraday bag long before coming anywhere near the place so a bunch of cell phones don't go off the grid all at once at the same place. Also, having a surveillance suite of your own would be handy. Something as simple as a police scanner and a homemade ADSB or MLAT server would give you advanced warning of any raid or intelligence collection efforts. And number nine is medical supplies. Having a small stockpile of medical and first aid supplies is essential. In an age where emergency medical facilities keep very detailed records of who you are and are usually guarded by law enforcement, if your safe house were actually needed, you most likely won't have the luxury of going to a medical facility. This is important to consider if your safe house is in a room buried deep within the walls of your home or if it's a hard to access place. This would make it impossible to move an immobile casualty on like a litter into your improvised medical center. Ambulatory casualties will be a little bit easier to accommodate for most safe houses, but things like ladders and small crawl space entries will make this difficult even for lightly wounded personnel. Also, because we had no other place to mention this, include things like nicotine gum and patches in your medical supplies for the smokers out there. In your safe house, smoking is not going to be possible, not only due to fire hazards and ventilation issues, but also because the scent of tobacco smoke travels a very long way. So that's all we've got. Uh, really, this short list is what you need to get started. Uh, we're going to be having a part two come out here pretty soon that will detail some things that you can do to improve your safe house, but in general, this will get you started in the right direction. You can go down, like I mentioned, the survival bunker route and start digging your own bunker in your backyard, which would be a great idea. But if that's not feasible for you, you can always start small with a safe house and just not put that much effort into it. Um, we personally would love nothing more than to buy ourselves a, a $180,000 Atlas shelter and drop it out in the middle of the woods somewhere. We would love that, but it's just not an option for really any of us right now. So the small safe house that you do have is worth far more than the large lavish bunker that you don't have. So keep that in mind, it's far better to have a, a little something than to not have a big something. 
So stay tuned for part two, and we will see you guys next time. And always remember, especially now, fight in the shade. It's to actual out.